0: everyone, Siobhan Chapman here, and welcome to the UBS Conversations podcast channel for the Future of Wealth, led by Melinda Hightower, the head of Multicultural Strategic Client segment. Melinda, welcome. I'll pass it over to you. Thanks so much, Siobhan, and welcome to the Future of Wealth, where we explore the intersections between culture, the arts, philanthropy, and inclusive growth. Again, I'm Melinda Hightower, head of UBS's Multicultural Investor segment, and we are closing out the year with thought leaders across the firm. With me today is my colleague, Matthew Newton, an art advisory specialist at UBS and the Family Office Solutions Group, which recently released a white paper titled Art and Collecting, Building a Meaningful Legacy. Matthew, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Uh, My pleasure, Mel. I'm very excited to be here to talk to you.
0: Great. Well, we're excited to have you here. And though the white paper really talks from the vantage point of the collector, for those who may not be be familiar, could you share a brief overview of the art market, really give us a sense of its main players and their motivation?
1: Sure. That's, That's a great question. I would say that the art market, if you look back, UBS produces um, a report each year in collaboration with Art Basel that's authored by Claire McCandrew. If you look back to the, the most recent one that came out last spring, you know, it describes an art market of about a total size of $70 billion annually. So to give you a sense of scale, um, that's a, a big market, but also a small market relative to some of the other sort of larger, more traditional financial markets we might think of. It's a relatively small market. Even within that, though, I always like to emphasize that the art market as a term is kind of uh, a bit of a myth. You know, it's really made up more of micro markets that are built around individual artists, individual periods, uh, collectors and motivation. It's such a unique market in that sense. Um, It's quite illiquid from a market standpoint. So you can have, you know, a few artworks. uh, or a few collectors who really, you know, can move the market sort of dramatically one way or another. I think those are all important things to keep in mind. Uh, if we step back and, you know, to your question, thinking about who are some of the participants and, and, and players in the art market at large, um, you could really break that down into, uh, I would say two main categories, which would be, you know, the commercial side and the non-commercial side. Um, And from there, within the commercial side, you have galleries, whose job it is basically to market artworks and sell and and promote the artists who they represent. Um, You have the auction houses, which serve essentially as clearing houses within the market. And so their their job really is to find in a public setting, you know, the correct price for an artwork at any any given time. Um, You have the collectors themselves, of course, uh, very important component to the market and their motivation, sometimes collectors and the scale of even an individual collector um, will rival some of the larger uh, institutional players in the art market, uh, which is an important quality to note. Um, so that's all really on the commercial side. Uh, well, one other thing I'll mention, of course, are, are art fairs that's become uh, an increasingly very important part of the global art ecosystem and Art Fair is really a collection of galleries that all come together under one roof for a period of time, normally a week, to promote and sell their artists and their artworks under that setting. Um, on the nonprofit side and non-commercial side, obviously you would, you would have most uh, museums fall um, under that, uh, various kinds of educational institutions, a foundation, a whole network, you know, there. I think one thing, another point I like to emphasize between these worlds and a lot of the different participants I've mentioned is there can be a lot of, a lot of overlap. So one person who is working for a museum may choose to transition and take on a sales director role at a gallery, for example, or someone who has worked in an auction house for a long time, uh, might choose to move over as a specialist, may choose to become a curator at a museum. And these relationships, uh, you know, they, they really kind of merge between these worlds a bit, even though they're distinct ecosystems. Uh, in a certain sense, there's also a lot of a lot of overlap between them.
0: What we're looking at, even thinking about all the transactions, we're looking at really a truly global market with individual collectors transacting all over the world. Some of them at auction houses, other of them in other vehicles. But where, when we think about the public transactions or the transactions that we're aware of, where does the greatest activity? Take place, and and to what extent are collectors opting to have a remote experience and buy art online? I'm thinking about when the pandemic happened. I imagine that there was a rise in in fully online transactions. I'm just curious about where that fits into um, transacting
1: today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, you know, from a from a data standpoint, you, the United States, is, and you're right, it is a very much a global industry. Um, you have global participants, and, and if we think about it from a philosophical standpoint, uh, artwork, hopefully at its, at its core, when it's at its best, is kind of a universal type language that can really bring people together, can share some of our really basic, you know, human motivations and interests, and, and and those kinds of things. So um, the market tends to reflect that a bit. So you can have collectors from all over the world have interest in, in different movements. Uh, that said, the United States is still by far market in the world, and so you have about half of all transactions in the market happen in the United States, and most of those are happening specifically in New York City. So you actually have a very small radius of area where most art transactions are happening in the world, and I think that's something important to keep in mind, although those artworks end up uh, in great collections almost everywhere, and I think that's something that's really fascinating. So there is still this desire, a very strong desire, to see the artworks in person and ultimately for most collectors you know especially collectors of significance they're going to live with these objects or there's the potential of these objects and the physicality of them really matters so even if they themselves personally are not traveling to one of the major cultural hubs such as new york or or paris or hong kong or one of these to see the works um one of they might have a representative do it on their behalf. I think that, you know, during the pandemic, you're right, I mean, most commercial galleries and those types of institutions, the auction houses, they really had to convert themselves into media companies essentially. They were having to market their works through channels uh, that didn't mean someone walking through the gallery door and and uh looking at a painting and buying it. And, you know, following that point <coughs> uh many collectors during that period bought a lot of art uh, through that they had never seen in person before, you know, through images, there were a lot of FaceTime calls for art transactions, those kinds of things. Um, but I think what's been really important to note is that we really haven't seen this full sort of transition to a digital transaction for artwork mostly. Now, of course, sharing images, sharing PDFs, uh, doing the video calls, having someone bid online or, or bid over the phone, all extremely important. And so it is a global market in that sense. But I think that what the art world has really shown is that it still matters about seeing those artworks in person you know, and, and really taking them in for what they are as physical objects.
0: And I think what that really means is that there's nothing, there's no substitute for seeing the work firsthand and in person. Um, despite the convenience of um, operating digitally, um, there's no substitute for seeing it, especially if if you're going to live with it for some time. And that brings us to really the white paper, which in, in which you discuss six guiding principles of collecting. And one principle that really stood out for me was that great collections are deeply personal. So in short, you basically have to, you should be buying what you love. However, some would argue that art and investment go hand in hand. And I've seen some people talk about it that way. So how should collectors really be thinking about what they love versus the historical or cultural value of a piece and the market value of a piece as they collect?
1: Yeah, great. Well, you're right you know in our in our white paper we did discuss sort of guiding principles or these types of um, these types of uh, overall hallmarks that lead collections towards significance over time but I would really want to emphasize as part of that that there really is no one way to collect and so you'll you'll see great collections come from a wide range of different mindsets about how to do it I would say that um the large majority of collectors who are successful at it over time do come back to this idea again and again and again that we we loved it, we wanted to live with it, and we we brought it home for us. And I would say that that is a consistent message. And I don't think it's necessarily different from the idea that you brought up of of being smart about what you're doing. From, I don't know that I would use the word investment necessarily, but that you would be smart about it from a budget and an asset and essentially the, the money part of the transaction. And you often see those things go hand in hand because collectors who become deeply passionate about the works that they're collecting tend to develop a level of expertise around not only artists and the artwork, but also the market for that artist. So, they know who are the dealers they know who who are the other collectors who are involved, and it allows them to make uh informed and shrewd decisions about when and how much to spend on a particular artist, so that they're also getting a good deal on the artwork and I think that's an important component. It's really important to note that the art market is famous for being unpredictable and and surprising over time in terms of what it's valued over the long term. And so, you know, when when collectors, uh, most significant collectors really think about the money they're spending on an artwork, not as something they're hoping to get a certain type of return out of, but they're trying to make the best uh, decision about that artwork and have the best value so they give themselves the best chance for that kind of, um, again, I don't really, really want to call it a financial return, but at least that they put themselves in a good position with that purchase, you know. And I think that that's that's probably more of an important mindset than really thinking about it as an investment, so to speak, if that makes sense.
0: No, it absolutely does. And so being mindful and intentional about your budget and what you're spending because of the fact that market value is hard to predict and, and surprising and really sort of thinking more towards an eye, it sounds like Many collectors think more towards than I have, what they personally allow. And some uh, would think about sort of cultural significance of the piece when collecting.
1: I think that's true. I think that's also, you know, you'll see in some cases a collector just wants to have it and they're willing to spend whatever it takes to get it, you know? And I think that's, that's an important thing to keep in mind. And we've seen that happen. Of course, there's been headlines around certain artworks in those, those types of transactions. And in other cases, a collector may own something, and there's no price. There's simply no price at which they're willing to sell it. You
0: know? As I think about it, you know, recognizing that collections are are deeply personal, and the white paper talks about this, collecting isn't a solo or a siloed activity, right? It's still done within context of a broader community. Can you talk more about how those how those art relationships are built?
1: Sure, Um it really, you know, a, a lot of this, like a lot of, of collecting, you'll see it happens, uh, slowly and over time. I would, I would think that most direct collectors tend to acknowledge that the expertise that they've built, the, the way that their eye has been trained, it happens, uh, sort of over trial and error for, over many years. And that's also true among the relationships that they build. And I think that's a, a truly important component for a successful collection, uh, every now and then you may have a, you know, truly kind of rogue collector, you know, extremely private and they're just sort of buying one-off pieces. But the vast majority of the time, um, you have a collector is really situated within a group of other collectors. Um, the relationships that they have with galleries, the relationships that they have with uh, auction houses, Territorial relationships with um, institutions, extremely important. Who are their service providers, you know, uh, that are helping them to ship and store the artwork all, all down. All those kinds of things become, you know, really quite significant and important to helping a collector navigate the art world because there really is no existing roadmap for how to do so you know and so having that network of connections um, is extremely important it's something that I feel very fortunate to help our clients to be able to do to navigate those relationships and to find them and to meet some of the people um, that will help them along that journey um, but I think it's it's um it's quite
0: important to do that no and Matthew I completely agree yes. I myself began collecting in earnest a few years ago and speaking from my own experience I say the art market can be very daunting. And the other thing to keep in mind is that yeah, unlike traditional financial markets, it's largely unregulated. So sort of really honing in on what you just mentioned, what advice do you have for those who are just starting their collecting journey? Are there key considerations that um, new collectors or novice collectors should keep in mind?
1: Sure. I, I think, I think you mentioned one of the imp- very important ones for sure in addition to uh, the opacity of the art market. It is completely unregulated, and so you have to uh, really have your own set of, of standards and questions and due diligence that you go for, uh, go through for your own collection. Um, I would say that the, the the key thing that you can really arm yourself with into entering into this is is education, learning about the artists who are involved, learning about who the market players are involved. Um, again, I mean, not to uh, our own resource here, but uh, I think that our white paper is pretty good at putting out some of the ideas there that, that should be kept in mind uh, for that. But it's it's really important to begin to sort of see the overall network and framework, which we talked about at the beginning of the conversation a little bit. Um, I would also say one of the, the early things that that any collector has to do, and it sounds very obvious, but it's it's harder than it seems, is to discover what it is that you like in the first place. And in that way there there's really no shortcut besides seeing as much as you can and I think uh for someone who is approaching the space, let's say that you started to allocate a certain budget that you'd like to uh put towards an art collection, have that number in mind, have a period of time uh in mind that you want to uh fulfill that initial objective, and then start to really go and see as much as you can, visit museums, visit galleries um get to Art Basel, see the art fair, those kinds of things. Um, it can be really informative. And then from that standpoint, I think the next thing is to be as honest with yourself as possible about what you like and what you don't like. It's a, it's a big art world. There's all kinds of art. It's, it's impossible. And frankly, uninteresting to try to like all of it. Um, you should not like some of it. And uh, so really focus on what it is uh, that, that moves you. And then really the, the, and, and, next part of that is to overlay it with what is the rest of the world paying attention to also so what are curators paying attention to what are art critics writing about um, what are the, what is a reputable gallery showing you know so overlaying what you love with what's important to the the larger art community I think is, is very important and again that last component is, is thinking about, uh, from a value standpoint, what is a, a good value within that market? Uh There can be a lot of speculative activities in the art market, so uh, a new collector should be careful for not getting caught up in that at the wrong times. Um, that's not always easy to detect when you're getting started. It's not always easy to detect even when you're a very established collector. Um, and the last thing I would say is, is don't be afraid of making mistakes because everyone has done it. Every collector has, has made a mistake. Um, even very sophisticated collectors, even very sophisticated market participants uh, would, would all acknowledge that they've made a mistake.
0: Sure. And I just want to pick up a thread because you mentioned, you know, overlaying our own aesthetic onto what's happening in the broader um, market. And I want to talk about some of those trends. Um, you know, we're seeing increased recognition and prominence uh, of artists who offer just dis- diverse perspectives, women and people of color notably. So how is that um, shift impacting the art market? And do you expect to see more collecting or more collections focused on emerging artists going forward?
1: Well, it's it's certainly a very important shift and and one that has been too long in coming, but it's finally here. It's also not done yet by any stretch. I think that when you think of the recognition that has come to many artists of color and women artists who are very important in the story of their particular time periods, uh, looking back into history, this can be both present day, but it's also uh, very much looking back into history, artists that may have been looked over for something that was not related to, to just their art. Um, we're seeing a very powerful uh, correction in that story being told. I think it's very, very important. Um, if you if you think of an art history book being written today it's simply unacceptable to to write that story now without including the multitude of voices who participated in it and uh that's also happening at the institutional level so uh, museums recognize that they need to tell the full story that has impacted the market very strongly and it's happening at the uh, individual collector level where collectors realize that They, too, have – they want the the story that's being told through the works that they own and exhibit in their homes to be reflective of a a broader story about art history. And all of those things have led to a a very important correction. As I said, I think there's there's quite a long way to go for this. Um, It still tends to be a market that is uh, dominated by the sort of white, male, Western-oriented – of our history that, that still follows through today. Again, I think that story is changing, but in overall results you'll still see that. Um, but I think that that, that story will uh, will continue to develop with the market.
0: And that's not the only thing that's changing, right? We're also seeing um, a change in who's collecting. So that the art Basel and UBS Global survey of collecting that you mentioned earlier, it noted that women outspent men on average. I mean, our very own UBS Invest Advanced Survey showed that shift among the black collectors that we talked to, where on average, um, black collectors were out, where 46% of the investors that we surveyed were more likely to own a collection of significance uh, versus 19% of investors overall. So we're definitely, that speaks or hints at a broader change, not just, um, uh, with women collectors, but more broadly in the ecosystem is diversifying, which is exciting to know. I want to sort of end on your unique role. You mentioned, um, that for novice collectors and experienced collectors that having an art advisor help you navigate the space, um, it can be so helpful. And I want to, to hear, can you share a recent success story where UBS Art Advisory uh, played a role in helping, uh, so helping a collector grow or curate their art collection.
1: Oh, sure. Well, th- thank you for asking about that. That, um, that. That's correct. So I work in an art advisory capacity here for private wealth clients at UBS. And, and through that perspective, I basically uh, am fortunate to be able to work with some of our, um, some of our clients who are both new to collecting and those who are, are deeply experienced with collecting. Uh, navigate this landscape that, that we've been discussing. And uh, that can really take on the, the life cycle of collecting. So you can think about it, everything from navigating the art market, some of the players, again, the relationships, um, um, identifying artworks of interest, um, art historical education, sort of walking through um, the questions that collectors should be asking when they're approaching the art market, that portion moving into how to take care of a collection over time so that and you've purchased works, how do you take care of that that group of works and uh, make sure they're set up to last for the long term? So everything from uh, shipping and storage to an uh, art attorney when needed, all those kind of full-range fine art insurance, everything sort of around that we connect to. And then lastly, um, I work with – I'm very fortunate to have colleagues who specialize specifically in family and philanthropic topics. And also those who are um, uh, former practicing trust and the state attorneys so we can think through the the legacy planning for a collection. So you've built this really substantial collection, um, what's going to happen to it over the long time? You know, is is the family interested in it? Are there institutions who are interested in it? If there are uh works to be sold, were the right strategies to think through uh, that process as well. And um, we've had we've been very fortunate to have a, a, a number of success stories with our clients. Um, across those range of topics. So um, uh, I've had a great time working with a few of our clients um, who have reassessed their collections. Uh, we've helped them identify artworks uh, that they're excited about, introduced them to the people they would need to know to make acquisitions that they're excited about, and um, really uh, helped to sort of steer the collections that's in. Um, we've had uh, family office clients who are actually – um, the executives in the family office who are who are managing the collection and need to take care of it, who have used the uh, our advisory as a resource to help them know how to do that and to, to find their correct resources that, that they need to do so. And um and again from the legacy planning portion, uh we've worked with clients who um are both looking to make very significant gifts to uh institutions and who are also looking into um uh, the correct avenues to sell the works and, and those relationships have been very meaningful. I would say in, in, in all of these cases, um, and for the, the ultra high network segment that I serve through this role, there tends to be a real connection point to art and collecting. Uh, most of these individuals and families are very financially successful and that part of their life is, is one thing, but they really spend a great deal of their time thinking about the parts of their life that they're very passionate about, and that can be their philanthropic interest. And it can very often be, um, their art collections. And so being able to have that level of connectivity, I'm very, very proud that UBS has a very, it's very meaningful to the firm. It's very much in our DNA. We have our own 30,000 piece collection. We've been sponsor, of, uh, excuse me, the sponsor of our Basel for, um, I think, 25 years at this point or something like that, it's, you know, it really is meaningful to us in a way that's also meaningful to them. So I think I feel very fortunate to be in a position of being able to um, connect that and bring it to bear directly for our, our client experiences. And they seem to appreciate that.
0: No, that's wonderful. It's comprehensive support for collectors and also a shared passion between the firm and the clients for art. So for our listeners today who are interested in learning more about the White Paper UBS Art Advisory Services? Where can they go uh, to find out more information?
1: Well, we have a very convenient. If you just go into your web browser and type ubs.com/art, then uh, that's a great way to get started. There's a number of resources, um, including links to the Art Advisory. Uh, you should be able to find your way to the Art Paper from there, and uh, yeah, a lot of great, a uh, lot of great content there.
0: Great. Well, Matthew, thanks so much for joining us and sharing insights from the new white paper on art collecting. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bill, for having me.